today is our Operation Christmas Child kickoff Sunday. So I think everybody noticed the boxes probably when you came in. We had a few kids helping us fold over 40 boxes this morning. However, there are many, many more out there. This year's goal for Operation Christmas Child is to send the 100 millionth box out. So um, we're excited to kind of help them reach that goal. And these boxes go out to over 100 countries all over the world. And they don't just go out at Christmas time, they go out throughout the year. So probably right now a child is receiving a box. So throughout the year you can be praying for your boxes, you can be praying for the children and the families and the missionaries that, um, that are receiving gifts through Operation Christmas Child. Um, you heard on the video about the Greatest Journey, which is the discipleship program that they do 12 weeks following receiving the, the shoeboxes. So each child that receives a shoebox gets to go to class for 12 weeks, like a vacation Bible school type thing, for 12 weeks. They learn more and more about Jesus, and they learn how to share their faith with their families and, and others. So um, this, this isn't it. This isn't the only thing that they get. They get so much more. So um, I encourage you to pick up a shoebox on your way out, or two or three or however many you want. Um, right now we have 200 shoeboxes. I can always get more. Last year, we packed 200 shoeboxes here from Creekside. I would love to see more up here on stage by uh, November 20th. This year's collection week is November 17th through the 24th. In the brochures that I have right now, they are last year's brochures. Um, and it says November 12th through the 19th. If you get them here early, that's great. But the collection week is 17th through the 24th. So there's a little pamphlet out there. Inside the pamphlet, there's a list of items that you can put in your shoeboxes. Um, and there's also information on how to pack your shoeboxes. There's also a little insert. It's a $7 donation per box. So you can put your money in this little envelope inside the brochure. And then on the back of the brochure are your uh, boy and girl labels that you just apply to the top of the box. You can also go online and register your box online and print out a label. And with that label, you'll be able to track your box and find out where the Lord sends your box, um, which is really fun to do. You'll get an email sometime later in the year to find out where that box went. If you have any questions, Lauren and Patty will be at the table after church, and they'll be happy to answer any questions you have. I really hope we run out of shoeboxes and I have to go get more. So thank you guys very much, and have fun with us. Oh, also, your kids will be getting an All About Me sheet today at Sunday School. They can fill this out and put this in their shoeboxes, too, as you send them out. So thank you much. Thanks, Carrie. I know that's something my kids look forward to doing every year, which is good because our kids get so caught up in what I want and what I'm going to get. This is such a great opportunity for them to go and get excited about giving to other, other people and to learn about the folks that are going to be getting these. We're going to have communion uh, as we, we sing these next few songs, but I want to go back to last week's message that Nick had uh, shared with us. It was kind of a heavy one as we're talking about dealing with these temptations and the struggles that we have. But the cool thing was, 
Uh, Nick shared a passage at the end and some thoughts, and we shared this in our small group as well, and I wanted to read this to you. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, sometimes when uh, we hear a message like last Sunday, it's easy to focus on all my mistakes and my struggles and giving into temptation and the shame and guilt that we feel. And the cool thing is what that passage is talking about is that we have a great high priest. We have Jesus who was man came to earth, went through everything that we go through so he can sympathize with everything we go through. He knows the, the, the pain and hurt of, of failure. That He feels that because he, he understands, he can sympathize with us. And so we don't live our lives focused on all these mistakes we've made and, and feeling that weight of the sin that that holds us back so when we come here on sunday morning we're not sitting there feeling horrible because of everything and every mistake we've made we come in here because we have a great high priest a savior that that came and was a man and died for us and now can sympathize with us and so we approach the throne of grace with mercy he gives us mercy and so that's something before we come and take the bread and the cup that we can praise our savior he did this for us and so we don't have to sit there feeling horrible we can sit there feeling like we have somebody that died for us because it really happened and now you guys can approach God and ask for forgiveness and experience that freedom that only comes from him as we sing these next few songs batteries but the low battery light is on so I hope it lasts technology you can't trust it well for those of you that have haven't been here we are in the middle of a series called wise living in a smart world and the idea is to pause to reflect to think about how do we migrate the the dangers uh, as well as the benefits of this connected world that we live in. Today we really want to think of this specifically in terms of our families, in the context of family. So what are the challenges, what are the things that come to mind as we think about how technology, how the internet, Facebook, iPhones, iPads, all these things, 
about how they impact our families. And uh, the first week that Nick talked, he, he shared a verse, Proverbs 17, 24, that I think really helps encompass and, and put a, just a good summary statement around this series. And Proverbs 17, 24 says, The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. And you know, the, the temptation and, and the tendency from what Kyle talked about, this, our uh, struggle to be content, uh, to always be searching and striving after something more. Uh, what Nick talked about last week, the, the temptations that, that come at us, all these things kind of stem from this idea that where are we looking? And the discerning man sets his face towards wisdom. And that's what we want to contemplate. That's what we want to think about. How do we become the kind of people that set our face towards wisdom? Because everything else is... is calling at us, trying to pull us to look in so many other directions. Uh, Before we get into this, I just want to open us in a word of prayer. Uh, Father, I pray that you would make your word real to us this morning, Uh, that as we pause and just think about this topic, that you would uh, encourage us and and, uh, make us hopeful, um, that you would reveal our hearts to us and, and the good and the bad, and, and Lord, we just want to be people that follow after you. Uh, so bless our time together this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I've been thinking about this topic, uh, I can't help but come across news stories, and I just wanted to flash a few headlines up there to kind of just set the context for what we're dealing with. The first one, study, smartphones are stunting students' social skills. The next one, in a wired world, children unable to escape cyberbullying. Steve Jobs banned his children from using an iPad. Why a leading professor of new media just banned technology use in class. And for the children's sake, put down that smartphone. All these, uh, there's this growing realization in our culture that, you know, we, we jump head first into all this technology, and as you go down this path after a few years, you start to see that, you know what, there's good and there's bad. And so we don't want to downplay the good, we just, but we want to be aware of the dangers. We want to be people, again, the book of Proverbs is about wisdom. And wisdom is what we need when there's no clear standards. You know, there's nothing, there's no verse in the Bible we can point to that says, uh, you shall look at the internet for two hours a day, you know. All these things require wisdom. And just the idea that we have to take the things that we're struggling with, should I go ahead and use this, and the challenges of, these te- of technology and, and things that face us in this world, and, and go and, and apply wisdom to them. And so I hope you guys have had a chance to be reading through the book of Proverbs. Uh, this Proverbs challenge has been great. Uh, Nick's emails have been a good reminder that, hey, okay, if I haven't read my chapter in Proverbs, uh, I need to go do that because it has been great just to reflect through the book of Proverbs, especially thinking about this area of technology. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. That's where we're going to be this morning. And the first week... Nick read a couple of emails that people from, from this uh, church family had sent in, and, and uh, 
I just want to read a, a couple of these things to set the stage. Uh, one email in particular said, I think one of the most negative things we have seen come from technology is the lack of human interaction it creates. You go to a restaurant and everyone sits and plays with their devices instead of talking to one another. You watch people at family gatherings and people will be on their device instead of being engaged with the group. This leads to relationships that are empty. Now, Catherine Steiner Adair is a therapist, a school consultant, and the author of a book called The Big Disconnect. She had some quotes from talking to kids to kind of get their perspective on how technology affects their families, and here's a couple. Tyler, age seven, said, my mom is almost always on the iPad at dinner. She's always just checking. Penny, also age seven, said, I always keep on asking her, let's play, let's play, and, she, and she's always texting on her phone. Catherine, Catherine says, to parents, multitasking via screens and cells may seem like a reasonable work-life compromise, a way to feel available to children while still tending to work and other interests or commitments. To children, the feeling is often one of endless frustration, fatigue, and loss, not compromise. Um, Lauren shared a story with me this week. She said, yeah, you know, a couple weeks ago, Aubrey was brushing my hair, combing my hair. And uh, as, she's, as she's doing this, she stops for a minute, and um, Lauren didn't know what she was doing. And, and she, she, she stops and she says, Aubrey, why did you stop brushing my hair? And Aubrey said, well, you know, she had pulled out her, her play phone, and she said, well, I, I just have to send a couple texts. <laughs> now, your kids are aware of your, of your habits, okay? And, man, this is a, this is a struggle I'll, I'll share, you know, for myself. Now, first I have a confession. I probably have the most ancient phone in this whole church right now. So this is a flip phone. So, but... You're just saying, why are you talking about this? You don't. This is a, this is a big struggle for me. Okay, um, for one, I mean, my job, I work at a computer all day long. I I do programming. I work for Pioneer, and I'm on computers constantly. And I love technology. I love you know to get new things. And so you know, when the iPad came out, uh, it wasn't long after they had been out that that I bought one. And uh, you know, man, I was so excited because here. You know, in the past, you had to go fire up your computer. You had to wait till everything loaded. Then you could go and you could check your email. There's just, there's just something that's so much more satisfying about, like, grabbing a device, turning it on, boom, there's your email. There's, you, can, you can just be so much more connected. And so, and so I thought, this is great. This is awesome. Well, you know, I found as, as I went along that this device began to slowly creep into my habits more and more and more. And so it's sitting there on the table I cannot walk by, you know, without picking it up. Oh, maybe someone sent me something. Maybe there's something new on Twitter. Maybe there's, you know, all these things. And Kyle talked a couple weeks ago about just this, this struggle we have inside of ourselves to remain content. And for me, it, it kind of manifests itself in an information contentment. I want to know what's going on. I want to be aware of the news. And I want to be just feel like if, if I go too long without checking in that I'm missing something. And these are the things that we're fighting against. But, you know, our families, our families need us to be present. And as we look at the book of Proverbs, I think we really see this basic truth come, come loud and clear through. 
is that wisdom happens in families. Wisdom is formed in the context of families. And you see this right at the beginning of the book, right after this, the verse that Nick talked about in week one, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of wisdom. Verse eight, it says, listen, my sons, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Right off the bat, you want to get wisdom, listen to your father's instruction, do not forsake your mother's teaching. Fathers and mothers are critical for wisdom. And then you go through, and you see this reoccurring theme. Chapter 2, verse 1, my son, if you accept my words and store my commands within you. Chapter 3, my son, do not forget my teaching. And he goes on, and you have on and on and on, I think through chapter 7, this reoccurring, my son, my son, my son. And Solomon, you realize, is writing down wisdom that we all are benefiting from, but he is thinking about his son. And this, if you're, if you're doing the Proverbs challenge and you're reading through this, you're, you're realizing how many of these bits of nuggets of wisdom apply to our family life. And just the basic idea that wisdom is formed in families. I love Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 7. It says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And I can't get away from this idea of wisdom as something that happens in the ordinary moments of life. When you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you get up. And in our desire to be so connected, we can miss those moments. We can miss those chances for connection. And for me personally, I can think of so many times where, uh, you know, my duty a lot of times is I, I try to, in the evenings, give Lauren a break. And I tell her, I say, hey, you go take a break. You go read Pinterest for a little while or whatever. You know, that's good. You, you need a break. But for me, I would, you know, kind of try to take it on myself to do bath time with the kids. And yeah, what I found is so many times I would go in there, start the bath, get the kid in there, then I would sit there with my iPad and read instead of being present in the moment with my kids. I mean, here's an opportunity just to be with my, with my girls that I love, just to be asking questions about them, talking to them about their day, and here I am, you know, kind of squandering it. Well, Proverbs chapter 4 gives us, I think, just a great picture of what this wisdom formation looks like in our lives. And so I'm going to read, starting in verse 1. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and an only child of my mother, he taught me and said, lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Esteem her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. And here's Solomon. At this time, you know, an older 
uh, man, a father himself, reflecting back to when he was a young child. And we know he's young because he says, when I was, uh, when I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and an only child of my mother. In other words, he didn't have any other siblings yet. And yet this call, this direction that he got from his father David to get wisdom, man, it stuck with him, didn't it? Get wisdom, though it cost you all you have. And, you know, any parents in here, grandparents, man, we have such a privilege to be a part of forming wisdom in our kids' lives. And so I guess the challenge as I think about this idea of family formation is just are we present? Are we present when we're home with our families? I thought what Kyle said a few weeks ago was great. He said, you know, I've been trying to get in the habit of when I get home from work, you know, the phone goes up, goes up in my room, uh, gets put away for a while until the kids are in bed. And, you know, maybe I'm going to miss a call every, every once in a while, probably not as much as we, as we fear that's going to happen. Or maybe I'm going to miss that one text or that email. I'm not going to get it right away. But what is, what, when he's when making that trade, what does he gain? He's gaining just that time, undistracted time with kids. And, again, I'm not, I'm not here to, to put down any, like, specific rules. This is really something that each of us has to kind of sit reflect, think about how is technology affecting us? How is it affecting our families? But I was listening to one uh, podcast about an interview with someone talking about this topic, and, and he said something that really stuck with me. He said, you know, we, we have to cultivate in ourselves the ability to practice the presence of people. And I, I thought, man, that's such a simple thing, but so true. Practice the presence of people. Just being aware of the people we're with, caring about them, being interested in them, uh, and especially with our kids, just being available for them. You know, we don't want to miss out. Continuing on in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 10. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I will guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. For they cannot sleep till they do evil. They are robbed of slumber till they make someone fall. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. I love this. Verse 18. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Another huge theme from the, from the book of Proverbs is that wisdom is a path. All right? Wisdom is a path. And you're saying, okay, what does that metaphor mean? How does that apply? Well, one thing that a path has is boundaries, okay? A path is marked out by boundaries. And so, you know, understanding those boundaries, the only way we can do that is by going to God's Word, saying, hey, what does is, what is the Bible teach us about our time, about our te- attention, about how we're using the treasures and the things in our life? 
And you know, the other thing that a path has is a destination. And look at what Solomon says. This is him kind of going back to thinking about his own son. He said, I will guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. And man, isn't that, as a parent, isn't that what you want for your, for your kids? If you're, if you're, you know, not a parent, if you're still a child, man, I hope that this is something you want to say, hey, I want to walk in the way of wisdom. But that's not going to happen unless we are guiding our kids. You know, these, these verses, verses 10 through 19, are, verses 10 to 19 are really showing two different paths. And Solomon's saying, you can, take, you can take the way of wisdom or you can take the path of the wicked. And there's such a contrast between the two. And you, and you look, it really, he crystallizes it in verse 18 and 19. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. You know, if you get wisdom, it's a cumulative effect. The more wisdom you get, the brighter it becomes. You know, this idea that you're walking along a path, and, and if you ever go jogging and it's dark out, you kind of know this feeling that, yeah, it's kind of hard to see at first, but the sun starts coming up more and more and more. And that's how it is with us and wisdom. And the, the more wisdom that we teach our kids, the easier it is for them to grasp it, the easier it is for them to get it. On the contrast, as you go down the path of, of wickedness, he calls it, it becomes darker and darker. And he says this, this, this metaphor of stumbling and not even knowing what they're stumbling over. That's how dark it is. And so I thought it was appropriate that today in the Proverbs Challenge, we read through Proverbs 22, maybe the fa most famous uh, verse about parenting in the Bible, Proverbs 22, 5. Also using this path metaphor, in the paths of the wicked lie thorns and snares, but he who guards his soul stays far from them. Then this is the verse everyone has heard. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now, we've heard this verse before, and I, and I think it's important to point out something really big. When you think about the book of Proverbs, Proverbs, and, and I'm just going to read this quote because it puts it, much better than I could, but Dan Phillips, who has written a commentary about Proverbs, says, a proverb communicates a truth. It does not character characteristically communicate all truth. It is a sage insight. It isn't a legal contract. And another way to think about it is that, prover that Proverbs give us principles, not promises. And so this verse, I think, a lot of people take it as a promise. Hey, if I train my child in the way he should go, then that's a promise that he's never going to depart from it. And taking it like that, I think, has led to a lot of guilt with a lot of parents to say, oh, man, if my kid didn't follow the right, right way, it's because I didn't, I didn't train him right. And you know what? That's, that, is not, that is not, I don't think, the way to understand this. This is a principle. This is not a promise. This is a principle that tells us, yes, in general, this is the way it works. But it's not a promise. It's not a guarantee. And one of the things, I think we read a chapter like this in Proverbs 4, 
And we hear Solomon saying, when I was a boy in my father's house, we get this picture of, of Solomon and David. And man, it just seems like, oh, what a perfect situation. Here's David the king, and here's Solomon, and he's teaching him. And man, what a great family and perfect home life. You know what? Solomon grew up in a more messed up family than anyone in this church. And if you want to want to read about it, you know, go to go to 2 Samuel starting in chapter 11 and go on. But just to give you a few reminders that David's oldest son Amnon raped his half-sister and this caused a, a huge rift in the family and eventually David's son Absalom uh, murdered Amnon out of revenge, okay? And then we know Absalom was so bitter at David's lack of inaction that he tried to usurp the kingdom. And after that was all taken care of and Absalom's dead, so you've got Amnon dead, Absalom dead. Um, David's fourth son, Adonijah, when David is old and almost you know, too old to, to run the kingdom anymore, his fourth son tries to, again, take the kingdom by force. And you know what? David had a lot of good qualities. Um, and we usually think of David in, in glowing terms, but you know, he was a terrible father. And, and just to, to give a, a taste of this, there's, there's several hints of this, but First Kings chapter 1 Talking about Adonijah, 1 Kings 1, 5, now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. And his father had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? So you know what? Solomon's remembering these, these words from, from David, and it, it's cool because those are the things that stuck with him. But from what we know of David, at least with his oldest kids, he was not a good dad. He was not there. And what he says right here with Absalom, he did not interfere by asking him, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And so as you think about this idea of pathways, man, it is our job as parents to have those pathways, to have, set those boundaries with our kids, to help them understand what's right and wrong. We have to do it. And David's lack of action with his kids cost him. So, I mean, just a practical thing. A lot of us have just kind of like handed over devices to our kids. And do you know what your kids are doing on those devices? Are you, are you aware of the websites and the things they're going to? Do you have some, some controls in place? You know, like on our computer, we have accounts set up that the kids can use. And there's only like a list of websites that they can go to and nothing else. Um, just, man, take, take stock, take inventory, ask yourselves what your kids can see and what they can, can get into. I was talking to a neighbor, and he was relating to me. His son's in kindergarten, and he, he came to his dad and asked him, Dad, hey, how do you spell this word? I'm not going to say it, but, and, and he said, well, why do you want to know how to spell that? And he said, well, some kids at school were saying, I need to go type this word into Google and see what comes up, and it was something inappropriate, but just that, you know what, your kids are getting these messages, getting these things, and are we aware of what they're doing? Have, do we have safeguards in place? Or do we just, do we hand over the phone with complete access to everything? And, you know, like Nick said last week, Satan fights dirty. And 
it's just so important for us to be aware with what our kids are doing. I think also to be transparent with our kids about our own failures. You know, like I said, Solomon grew up in a, in a messed up situation um, with, he could see in his own family, brothers taking the wrong road, taking the wrong way. And I, I think that we need to be honest with our kids that, you know what, we have all, we have all walked down the wrong path. We have all taken the wrong road sometimes. And if we can just be honest with our kids about that, uh, I think that that's a huge deal. Back to Proverbs 4, just as we close, get close here. Heart focus is what it really comes down to. Proverbs chapter 4, in verse 12, verse 20 to the end of the chapter. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet. Take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. I read a quote, your life is the sum of what you focus on. This is an author that wrote a book called Wrapped, talking about this, this, just this concept of focus and attention. And you know, as I reflected on this chapter, I said, you know, man, that's what Solomon is saying right here. Just quickly look at these verses. Verse 20, listen closely to my words. Verse 21, do not let them out of your sight. Verse 25, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Um, and one time I was driving with my family to a football game, uh, an Iowa State game, and I was on Highway 30. There was a lot of traffic. You know, I was, had a lot of things on my mind. We were going to meet someone for a tailgate. And so I wasn't texting, but I had my phone, and I was you know, looking and trying to pull up someone's contact information. It's probably Kyle, I don't know. And uh, going to meet someone, and next thing I know, boom. We had, we had run into the car in front of us. Now, at that moment, I was just like, oh, my goodness, what just happened? And there's just bumper-to-bumper cars, and I get out. I'm really, really afraid. And, and uh, miraculously, there was no damage at all to my bumper or the car in front of me. But... Here I was driving with my wife and my three kids, and I got to think, man, what could have happened if I was going a little faster? What could have happened if, um, you know, I had just looked down a little bit longer? And just this idea of focus, of attention. And that's an, that's an example from driving. Um, you know, we're, we're just talking about everyday things, but again, the concept applies. Where is our focus? Is our, is our gaze fixed on wisdom and where we're headed? Or are we distracted by so many other things around us? Oh, quote from uh, Kevin DeYoung, he says, we cannot have meaningful relationships with thousands of people. We cannot really know what is going on in the world. We cannot be truly here and there at the same time. The biggest deception of our digital age may be the lie that says we can be omnicompetent, 
omni-informed, and omnipresent. We cannot be any of those things. We must choose our absence, our inability, our ignorance, and choose wisely. The sooner we embrace this finitude, the sooner we can be free. This idea of heart focus, and just this thought that this is something that goes throughout the Bible. Hebrews 12, 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. So I just want to leave you with this challenge of where is my focus? Where is my heart? And as I think about my family, as I reflect on it, you know, am I present? Am I, am I being a, a guide down this path of life? Am I pointing my kids down paths of wisdom? Or am I completely unaware of the paths that they're taking? When I think about my focus, am I guarding my heart? This idea of setting a guard, it's, it's, it's the idea that, it, you know, if, you are, if you're set as a guard and you're, say you're stationed at a castle gate, you're careful about who you let in. You're careful about what's out there. You've got your eyes on the horizon. You're being a guard. You know, that's what we need to be with our hearts and with the hearts of our families. Guard your heart. Tim, you and the band can, can come up here. And, you know, I also want to say that I definitely don't want this to be something where my intention is not to leave anyone coming away with any kind of guilt because um, we're, we're all in this together. We're all struggling through this together. We want to be people that are present. We want to be people that are, are leading our family down paths of life. And we just got to remind ourselves, we got to take ourselves back to the fundamentals of, hey, are we passing on wisdom? Are we guarding our heart? Are we fixing our gaze on what's ahead? Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for wisdom in Proverbs, uh, wisdom that calls us to seek after it. And uh, Lord, as, as Solomon sat with his um, flawed father um, in the middle of a family that had seen so much tragedy and heartbreak, God, we're in the same boat. We're, we're, we're imperfect, sinful parents. And yet we pray for divine help. We pray for the Holy Spirit to, to strengthen us, to be... Um, to be men and women who help to lead our families in wisdom and grandparents who help to lead our grandkids in wisdom and children who want to pursue wisdom. God, I, I thank you for the time to be in your word. Uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take two offerings. The second one is for the building fund as they're coming by. I want to share with you guys. We try to be real from up here about our lives. Uh, this week, it was a kind of a struggle for me. And I felt a little bit of pain and anxiety that I was dealing with this week, besides the, it, the enjoyment of the Royals winning all those playoff games. <laughs> but one thing I was thinking about was when I get to see my Savior for the first time in eternity, and what it will actually feel like when all that pain and anxiety and betrayal and fear 
and feelings of loneliness go away. And so as we sing these last few songs, I want us to be able to focus on that hope for eternity. I think it's easy to get caught up in this world and what we go through in our own lives. But if we get to look forward to seeing our Savior and what it will be like when we see him finally and all those things that hold us back will go away and we'll be at peace finally. That's what we look forward to. So you guys can stand whenever you want, but we're going to sing about the hope for eternity as we go out of here, as we reflect on these thoughts that Alan's brought us, and just praise our Savior this morning.